0: Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Velander, and Texas Longhorn all time great, two time All American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So take it away, AZ.
1: And take it away, I will. Welcome back, everybody, kickserveradio.com. Of course, we are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We feature seven-time Grand Slam champion, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander. We also feature two-time Texas Longhorn All-American, soon to be inductee into the Texas Longhorn Athletic Hall of Honor. He is Johnny Levine. Welcome back, boys, after an amazing U.S. Open. And, Matt's, I'll start with you because the final was phenomenal. And, of course, Alcaraz uh, becomes the youngest number one uh, in the modern era, wins his first major championship. The semis was great, too, against Francis TFO. But I want to go back to a match that Patrick McEnroe described as we are literally seeing the sport of tennis evolve before our very eyes. And that was the night, the morning, I should say, that Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner got after each other and they reached a level of tennis that I was watching that I had not seen. while you were watching that, did your sentiments line up with Patrick McEnroe's that we were seeing the sport of tennis being taken to levels it had never been played?
2: Yeah, guys, nice to be with you. Um, Nice to be back from New York City, I have to say. Uh, you know, it was funny, Andy and Johnny, that the morning, the next day, all of us, me, Alex Kurecha, former, obviously, two-time French Open finalist, uh, number two in the world, works for Eurosport. And then now you're telling me, Patrick McEnroe, we all came to the tennis and we were all saying the exact same thing, but kind of half quietly, like wondering, okay, are we like really old and old fashioned or are we sentimental towards the young guys because we're missing out on Roger and Rafa and Novak and we don't really know how to, how to gauge the level of tennis because it's different and we all came to the conclusion that it's most probably the best tennis match that I've ever seen in terms of level uh, it's definitely the fastest in terms of the speed of the ball and how early they take the ball as well, they're not waiting for the ball to come to them at all Um, and if you compare that to, let's say, uh, Roger and Rafa, they're waiting for the ball to come to them on certain shots, uh, and Novak, to a certain degree, waits, but maybe not as much, but then he doesn't go for it as much. So in terms of ball striking and in terms of reaction time, it was the fastest and the best tennis match that I think I've ever seen. It was absolutely amazing.
1: Johnny, when... Andre Agassi and Jim Courier came along. You had an opportunity to see that up close and personal, and it seemed like we had seen the game take a jump uh, with the way they were hitting the ball off the ground. When Andy Roddick came along, we looked like we saw a jump, particularly in the way he played against Juan Carlos Ferrero with the big serve and the big forehand and a precursor to the modern serve plus one game that we've seen uh, in American tennis. And it seems like it was going to take a full jump in level before Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic would eventually be displaced because the championship medal that they have displayed seems unparalleled, but the game now seems like it may have even inched its way past the level that these guys have ever played. Am I overstating that? I don't think so.
3: What you said is very true. I I do think this Alcaraz level, along with Sinner. And I agree with Matt's that that match was just completely off the charts, the level of play. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. I think Alcaraz has basically, uh, quote unquote, arrived, and he's going to be, you know, the future of tennis. It's pretty obvious. And he's really a clay quarter. And look, he won his first slam on on hard court. So what we can expect from him is just all great things. Um, And this young crop, I think now we're seeing that they they can compete in the five-set Grand Slam tournaments. And what we saw in this U.S. Open is um, Carlos Alcaraz won three five-set matches in a row and then comes back and beats Rude in four. That's the real big difference to me if these other young guys can follow suit. We're really going to see a complete changing of the guard, and um, it, it's it's going to be really fun to see.
1: Mats Bjorn Borg blazed a trail that you and Stefan Edberg and several other Swedish champions would would follow in, in the in the footsteps of an, an impressive fashion, winning numerous majors on the heels of what he did, winning eleven. Do you think that right now Rafael Nadal is kind of sitting back? not only reflecting on what he's done as a player but what he has done as a role model for Spanish tennis and that this young Alcaraz is a part of the offspring of the 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 tennis tree that Nadal can take a lot of credit for.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um and I think Rafa Nadal right now is uh, he's most probably a very proud man, but at the same time I say he's a little bit worried. <laughs> Because Carlos Alcaraz's tennis is going uh, – he's not improving just a little bit every year. He's improving every month uh, and most probably with every match too because he's, he's understanding uh, when, to, when to hit the drop shot and when not to hit the drop shot. And I don't know if you guys think the same, but he hit way less drop shots at the U.S. Open than, than he normally does. Um, he hits them enough so that people walk away and say, whoa. So I think he's realizing and, and learning so quickly what it is that you need to do at a certain score in the game and also what you need to do for the full game if you're up a break or up two breaks or something. So that's a learning curve that's going very steeply uphill for sure. Um, so I think that uh, more than just Rafa, I think Carlos, and I think I've told you guys this before because I I thought that when we were watching – Stefano Tsitsipas, I thought that he was sort of a um, he became a reflection of the combination between Roger and Rafa. Roger for the one-handed backhand coming to the net, Rafa for the for the passion and being involved at all times. And then I threw in Novak there because he moves unbelievably well. But of course, nothing like Novak in a way in terms of the actual movement, maybe faster. Carlos Alcaraz, I mean, I can find all three of them in Alcaraz. And that's pretty unbelievable. And I'm, and I'm not saying and I'm not exaggerating. There's a lot of Roger Federer in there in terms of the, the feel and the shot selection and what he does and serving and volume. And there's obviously Rafa in terms of the spirit, um, of never getting tired, never giving up. And then you have Novak in terms of taking the ball earlier. And he's taken the most so much earlier than, than, um, Daniel Medvedev or, uh, Alexander Zverev and maybe even Stefano Tsitsipas. I mean, he's taken it to a different level, this game. And I think after watching the Sinner match and then remembering what happened against Marin Cilic and then the Francis Tiafoe match, I mean, I think it's Carlos that does it to people. Now, his attitude has to make you want to stay on the court for as long as possible. Because he's laughing and uh, he's smiling and he's going vamos! And he's calling to the crowd. I mean, the crowd is getting involved in a, in a way that Maren Cilic has never played a tennis match when the crowd was that involved, except for Davies Cup. Um, and then Francis Tiafoe. I mean, he gets Francis Tiafoe up off the floor and comes back in that match. And I'm not sure. We, I've never seen Francis Tiafoe do that. Before. He's never maybe had to, but he's never been in a situation. Why did he do that? Because I think uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the spirit in which he plays the matches is just in such a good, happy, he's trying crazy shots. He hits a few tweeners here and there. Then he smiles to the crowd. I mean, one time he walked over and he was going to shake hands with, uh, um, with, uh, with one of his opponents. Was this Francis? Francis jumps over the net and they had this little thing. I think it was I mean, that doesn't happen with Federer or Nadal or Djokovic or Medvedev or Zverev or Tsitsipas. So things are happening. And I think mainly it's because Carlos Alcaraz. he brings everybody with him on the court that day. And he's going to bring everybody with him to the next level, just like Roger Federer did.
1: Johnny, Matt's mentioned the name of Daniil Medvedev, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Nick Kyrgios tonight, and when those two played at the U.S. Open, it really looked for all the world that Daniil Medvedev did not know what hit him he looked bewildered out on the court. He was out there against a guy who was playing at a level that he was not familiar. And here's a guy that we felt like had taken the hard court game to another level the previous year in dismantling Novak Djokovic the way he did and stopping him from winning the calendar slam. What were your thoughts on Kyrios? Because there were a lot of highs, but unfortunately a few lows as this guy uh, only has a tendency to want to enjoy so much prosperity. Yeah, Nick
3: Kyrgios, uh the most entertaining
1: player in the
3: game, maybe Was. except for Alcaraz. Yeah, yeah. Alcaraz <laughs> first. But um he, he he is number two and um you know has the biggest bomb in the game, I think. Yep. Um and he's been been mentally pretty good this all summer. I mean he beat Medvedev earlier in the summer, won a, won an event, and um, you know, can can hit the groundies and stay back there with Medvedev. And then he's, you know, he he can show the power that he has, obviously, with the serve and with the forehand. So it's a really tough matchup for Medvedev. and and Karyos had nothing to lose, and it's interesting to see, you know, last year, Djokovic had everything to lose, and and Medvedev had, had you know, played free and 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 played a great match to win. And then the, the 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 roles are reversed, and now Medvedev is defending champion, and and this is really what shows with the true champions can they come back and defend and can they beat the guys that they're expected to beat and um but this is really a tough matchup and so I think Kyrgios was fortunate uh he played probably one of the best matches of his career it was a very entertaining match um you saw Medvedev really get out of sorts in that in that match and then we thought Kyrgios might go through and win the tournament and then um, Koshinov um, grinded him out, and um, and then we saw the you know the, the Nick Kyrgios explosion after the match, and, and that was not a great sight to see with the breaking of the rackets. No, just totally uncalled for. That was very disappointing.
1: Matts, how long can Nick Kyrgios play the nothing to lose card? I mean, this is a twenty seven, twenty eight year old guy who really, for all the world, has should have expectations he's been to a Wimbledon final. He's, he's won tournaments. He's had a great year. He's won a slam now, albeit in doubles, but you know, the expectation should be that he's doing the kinds of things that we've now seen from Carlos Alcaraz and that we're seeing from Casper rude. And at what point is it like, okay, it's time to put up or shut up. I mean, the guy has played very well this season, but the ups and the downs really point to a level of immaturity that the guy just doesn't seem like he really even wants to shake.
2: Yeah. I think we're going to start scrutinizing Nick Cures a little bit more than we ever have. And uh, when you, Johnny mentioned that breaking of the racket after the, after the handshake against Khachanov, I mean, that's yeah, completely uncalled for. And you don't see that. So I think we're going to start, uh, I think he has to watch out. I really do. He's entertaining as hell. He seems like a really, uh, really uh, nice guy uh, because the guys in the locker room seem to have no problem with playing against him. And that must mean that um, he's a really good good guy in the locker room and the player's restaurant. And, and whenever they're not on the court, and even when he's on the court, the guy seems to be okay with it. But I think he can play the, I have nothing to lose card for himself. Most probably for a very long time, and which means that he most probably won't win anything. Because I don't think that that's a good uh, a good attitude to have. I think you have to go in with with the feeling that this this one really I need to win this match. It's going to hurt like crazy if I if I lose, and I'm not going to make the best decisions if I don't care. If I don't play with a lot to lose. But I'm going to put pressure outwardly in whatever I say. Nick's going to be up there now. It's going to be among the three, four guys that can win the tournament because his level is absolutely incredible when he's playing well. And it was against Medvedev.
1: Before we go to break, I will finish by saying that as long as Kyrgios is going to be in and among the favorites in the sport, let him act the way he wants to act because it is entertaining as long as we have gentlemen like Alcaraz and and Kasparud that are also extreme warriors to know that the game is in the right hands across the board, that we've got a a plethora of personality in the sport right now, and that's very healthy for the sport. All right, you're listening to kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. When we come back, it wasn't just Francis Tiafoe that was the only American that made noise at the U.S. Open. Of course, it was Serena's last stand. We saw Coco Gauff. Have a bit of a run, and some other American men, one of which we could never have imagined doing what he did at the expense of another American man. We'll talk about that when we get back. radio.com. Don't go away. AZ here kickserveradio.com and i'm joined by paul strata and he is the developer of iplaymetoo.com paul it's a real world tennis app for real life scenarios tell us about it
4: yeah yeah thanks andy
1: yeah so here at iplaymetoo we basically
4: built the world's most useful tennis app for the players and for the club pros and i think if you'd ask most Players at clubs, they'd like to play more if it were easy to get games, to enter tournaments, play in ladders. So we basically digitized all of the scheduling headache and all of the tournament and competition setup, so it's as easy as ordering an Uber. And people can focus on playing and not trying to schedule and get a game in.
1: An advantage that you've got in the market from what I've seen is in the presentation of the results, people like seeing their name in lights. Talk a little bit about that side of the site.
4: Clubs can run all kinds of tournaments and ladders and round robins, and the players can enter their own scores right there from their app. The players don't have to text their score to the club pro. They can actually enter it in their
1: app. The app is iPlayMeToo, iPlayMeTheNumber2.com. The developer is Paul Strata. Paul, thank you so much. And uh, and best of luck with iPlayMeToo.com. All of us that have used it have enjoyed it very much and appreciate the hard work that you have put into it.
4: You bet, Andy. Thanks so much. And anyone has any questions, they can contact us at iPlayMeToo.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. It's a U.S. Open recap, and we are part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And Johnny Francis TFO, obviously on the men's side, really represented American tennis well. He was the first, I think he was the first American male to semi the U.S. Open since '05, we still haven't had a winner since '03, when Andy Roddick won that year but I think we had a semi-finalist it was probably Roddick I would assume in 05 unless it was Agassi or no I think it must have been Andy in '05. anyway case is uh, we had some other Americans that made some noise and let's start with perhaps the biggest upset of the U.S. Open take it away
3: Well, we have Brandon Holt, um, you know, who played four years of college tennis at USC, has been on the tour for two years, the son of uh, Tracy Austin, and a really, really solid all-around tennis player who has been playing the Futures tournaments and the Challenger tournaments, but really came into his own at the U.S. Open and and beat a, a, a guy that he grew up playing junior tennis with. And I think Fritz was quite nervous when he saw that draw that he was going to play a guy that basically he had grown up with and that had competed hard against him. And Fritz has had this tremendous career. And so he was feeling a ton of pressure. And then, uh, you know, Brandon Holt, give him a lot of credit. He came out and just played really solid tennis and, um, and took him down. And, and it was just an amazing match. You know, in the second round, Holt came up against a, a really tough player from South America, ended up losing 7-6 in the fifth set. And, um, you know, that was a real heartbreaker. That was Pedro Cashin from Argentina, um, and he lost 7-6 in the fifth. It was just really, really heartbreaking. But you got to give Holt a lot of credit. He had not been on that stage before. He came through the qualifying and um, is now going to be in the in, inside the top 250. So hopefully um, he'll use what he did at the U.S. Open and and just feed off of that.
1: Matt's uh, Taylor Fritz was the guy that we had identified as probably the guy that we would have maybe bet on to to show up where TFO did, and and then we see him him flame out at the hands of, of Brandon Holt. Is it a situation where oftentimes, and you would have maybe known this as well as anybody, the U.S. Open can be one of two things. It can be an opportunity to really end the year with a bang and to go out on top the way you did in 88, or it can also be an opportunity to say, man, I've had it. This has been a long season. I should have managed my schedule a little bit better I don't have anything left, and maybe in Taylor Fritz's case, he won. An, he played a lot of tennis matches this year. He won a lot of tennis matches this year, far beyond anything that we had seen from him before. With that in mind, is that really as huge a shock as the the matchup with Holt would would seemingly be?
2: Well, I mean, it is obviously a huge shock in one way. But first of all, we don't really know what happened in the juniors. Uh, In, in, you know, in matches that we have not even, we don't even have records of, but, but you guys would both know that you play somebody when you're 14 years old and you're playing on court 12 over there and there's mom and dad watching and for some reason, you are losing to this guy who seems to know what you're doing, and you just don't understand it as a 14 year old. But those things stay with you. I have a few of those, and they stayed with me though my whole life. So I think we, those matchups we don't really know about them. I think Taylor Fritz is one of those where if he's not, if he's not playing really well, and if he's not better than his opponent. This is going to be the test for him. Is how does he pull out matches? I know he fights hard. He competes unbelievably well. He's got great attitude. Uh, but when things are not going his way in terms of his ball striking, I think we we and I would like to see it. We we want to find out what kind of tennis player is he when he doesn't have a great day, when he is sort of a, a six or 7 on a scale to 10. Whereas if you take Francis Tiafo, he can be a 10 even on a day when he's a 6 or a 7. He'd be a 10 for 20 minutes because he's so fast and he does so many different things. But for Taylor Fritz, I think that um, uh, if he doesn't hit through the opponent, he doesn't hit through the opponent. If he doesn't serve huge so the guy can't get it, but he doesn't serve huge. There's no surprises really. The surprise with Taylor Fritz is when he's playing well, He's playing freaking unbelievably well because he hits the ball so clean. But when he's not feeling it, I think we're going to find out how deep is his knowledge of tennis uh, in terms of the variety and what do I need to do to to, uh, to screw up my opponent. And that's something that Francis Diapos seems to understand. Uh, and it's something that Taylor Fritz, I think, always has been working on. And because he's moving better, he's able to do a little more. But I, yeah, it's a big surprise. But the U.S. Open is—you're you're so right, Andy. It's rough. You got—you get there and you feel like, oh my god, I feel so tired. I want to go back to Europe, uh, or I've played one good week this summer, but I feel it's right there. And now, give me five sets, New York City. That's so fun for two weeks. I'm going to be playing great. So there is a lot of different things, and you don't get those. Differences in mentality and attitude in the other majors, for sure.
1: Nick Kyrgios basically echoed those sentiments exactly going into the tournament. I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to see my family. Then you get on center court at Ash Stadium, and it like it's like someone plugs you into a high volt, you know, power you know power source, and you're lit and you're electrified, and you go until you don't go anymore. One of the things that electrified the tournament, Johnny, staying on the American theme was uh, Serena's last stand. And I mean, the amount of pomp and circumstance that sur- that surrounded Serena Williams could-, could only be matched by what we're seeing now with Queen Elizabeth. I mean, this thing was, uh, was some was some production that they made for Serena. What were your thoughts on the way she went out? Gosh, you're right, Andy. I mean, I never, <laughs> never
3: saw <laughs> more media coverage Jeez, in so my weird. life on one player that was unseated. Now, we know... And we think and we, you know, it's a consensus thing that we think that Serena Williams is the greatest player of all time. Margaret Court might question that. I don't know. But, um, you know, she has been an incredible champion and done so much for the for the game. Uh, We saw what she did in the summer. She was not in great shape and it was not that fun to watch what we saw out there. Coming into the U.S. Open, I got to give her credit because she really trained and she really worked hard and she played well. I mean, she really got herself playing at a very high level. I saw her play her first round match and, and, you know, that that, you know, she got through that one. And that, you know, every match now in these women's early rounds is really tough and even for the best players. And so she got through a tough first round. Um, The second round, you know, she had the big upset against Contevet, and, um, you know, now she's rolling, and everyone is behind her, and there's a humongous buzz, sell out, you know, Ash Stadium for every match that she's playing, and then she comes up against Alia Tomljanovich. I think I got that one right, Andy.
1: Ah, oh, you're somewhere, somewhere in there. Somewhere <laughs>
3: I'm going to just call her Isla, who is who is um really, really been playing well as of late. She got to the quarters, repeat quarters at, at Wimbledon has been playing really great tennis, believing in herself. And I was just incredibly impressed with how she handled that situation against Serena Williams with the whole crowd against her, never had been on Ash, never had played Serena Williams, and really, you know, was outside the top 30 and handled it just beautifully. Um, and, And Williams, you know, She played, uh, she, she fought well, she had her in both sets and could not come through. And then at the end we saw where, you know, she basically would not let go at the end and saved a bunch of match points. Eight, eight match points. The end came. And, and I have to tell you, and I don't know, I'd love your guys' take, but I was somewhat disappointed in, I just don't think she gave Isla enough credit and, 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 you know, the, the the respect at the end of the match. I mean, I know the crowd was behind her, but I just felt like Isla w- was was kind of on her own there. I would have liked to see a little more admiration from Serena to to her opponent. That's just my take.
1: I'll say this, Mats. When I watched, I didn't see the Tomjanovich match as well, as much as I saw the Annette Contaviette match, and I thought Contaviette handled herself beautifully in defeat. She was gracious. She was respectful. And to Johnny's point, in the interview afterward, I actually thought Mary Joe missed the mark a little bit not asking Serena to talk about Conteviet because I thought Contaviette deserved a little bit of adulation and admiration from William. She didn't get it. And overall, it just seems like Serena struggles with graciousness in those moments. And that was one of the disappointing things. I don't blame the USTA and the WTA for all of what they wanted to do to give her the proper send-off. But there are times when it's cringeworthy, Mats.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was sitting there watching. Uh, obviously, I watched all of her matches. But the last round against Ayla Tomjanovic uh, is how it's pronounced. Yeah, if you're from Europe, you would know things like that. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the last row. Of Arthur Ashe Stadium because we're going to shoot a live uh, Eurosport TV little segment for the last show of the day. We want Serena in the background, whatever. So we're sitting there and of course it goes on forever. And uh, people, were we had two guys next to us. They were most probably in their mid-30s. One guy's wearing a, a bucket cap. Uh, they're both, they, they, one guy's crying. He's crying next to us. And the other guy is wiping something out of his ear, his eyes with fingers. I'm like, these guys are, they're actually crying. And I was, when, when the, the crowd gave her a standing ovation when she saved all those match points and, and then a standing ovation again, whatever. So, and to your point, Andy, I was, I don't really know what people think about Serena. Um, I think people have a lot of um, different opinions about her and what she needs to stand for and all that. But I do know that I was surprised at how much I um appreciated. <laughs> serena williams at that moment okay. and i think that because of some of the uh, losses that haven't been that graceful and we tend to compare them to roger federer or rafa nadal uh and or maybe venus williams even venus, venus but even uh, chris Everett and martina right, Nara, right, they right. play each other so she so she no she hasn't been the most graceful loser on the other hand she's the greatest of all time maybe that's what it takes to not always be graceful in defeat because she wants it so badly. So I was sitting there and I realized, wow, she actually, she's finally getting the respect um, that she deserves from me. Not from people. I don't know what people feel. But I always respected her as a tennis player. She's an unbelievable player. But there's been enough incidents, one with Naomi Osaka, one with uh, Samantha Stoser and the line empire where where Serena went up and she's going to take a tennis ball and, and, and do something with it. So there's been enough there where if you're a, a complete tennis deadhead like I am, <laughs> then you're looking at all the different, the different sides of tennis. And, of course, Roger Federer takes – Most boxes, if not all. Oh no, he doesn't because Carlos Alcaraz ticks all boxes right now. He really does. Uh, and Serena hasn't over the years in my book, but it has never taken away that I have always thought she's the greatest player of all time. There's nothing to do with that. And maybe I'm asking too much and have been. And I realized at that moment, I have been asking too much. And wow, what an unbelievable way to go out and what an amazing tennis. Grand Slam best player of all time we had in Serena Williams.
1: Before we go to break, let's talk about what we should expect going into 2023. 2022 is not in the books yet. Let's make some way too early predictions for 2023 when we come back. You're listening to kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. The ink is barely dry on the sheets of the results of the US Open, and yet we're going to start looking toward 2023. So don't go away. Be right back right after this.
0: Hi, guys. Sarah Z here with a Kick Serve, Quick Serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, As we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That, for me, is becoming, I I think, tougher by the day.
5: Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, BodyFuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have a fantastic product called Purify which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We we also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So that these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing, but Midnight Burn at Night, Blackwell Shredded in the Day, Uh, And then Purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, Purify, along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular.
0: Fantastic. And one more time, BodyFuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the KickServe Radio Boys.
1: Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've been taking a look back at a historic 2022 U.S. Open. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz becoming uh, the youngest number one in the in the modern era at age 19, winning his first major championship. Matt's to your point, uh, while we were offline, uh, we're going to talk about the women. I mean, we talked about Serena Williams. We should probably talk about Iga Swiatek winning her second major of the year, and she is the prohibitive number one at the end of the year. So we've got a 19 year old at number one in the world. Has Swiatek turned 22 yet?
2: No, she hasn't. She's still 21. So she's a
1: 21-year-old. And, I mean, talk about a changing of the guard. Who had the more impressive year uh, on the the men's side or the women's side? Alcaraz or Schwantek?
2: That is a tough one. Um, I think that Iga Schwantek with 37 wins in a row on – uh, on two different continents, on two different surfaces, uh, I think is, yeah, I think you gotta hand it to her, especially as she won now too. Um, I think that Iga, I'm gonna be, make the first prediction. I think that Iga Swantek will, will easily stay the number one in the world at the end of next year. Um, I think she'll pick up another two slams. Um, and I don't see any woman even close to her. Uh, and I'm talking about not on the scoreboard when I'm talking about the speed as which she moves and the speed as which she takes the ball on in terms of being early and trying to be dictate. I mean, she's, she plays at a different pace and she is going to make mistakes. And that's why the the likes of Unz Jaber, they have a chance with her two out of three sets. They have a chance, but, but if I, she's going to lose matches for sure. Some we're going to question, like, what the hell? how it happened? But, but as a general game, she's taken a step in a direction where they, they are – I don't think that they're that close, the rest of the women. Not Coco Golf either. Um, so I think she's taken it. And they better hang on because she might just take it to a level where, oh, my goodness, we can't well, – I don't know what to do about Iga right now because she's uh, – yeah, she's a real deal. And she's, I think, winning two next year. And she's going to be number one in the world again.
1: Johnny, Matt saw it in my eyes. He, he just went right for the jugular there. He knew Coco Gauff was coming next. Like, no, 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 Coco Gauff. Don't, no, no, no. She's not a good as And I do want to talk about her, but when we, do, when we were previewing the U.S. Open, we talked about the American women uh, being Coco Gauff and Amanda Anisimova. And in fact, it was actually Coco Gauff and Danielle Collins. And Danielle Collins, say what you want about her. If there's one word that describes her, she is fierce. There is no two ways about it. She is aggressive. She comes after you. And there was something about her. And I didn't like what I saw from her as much in Australia. But she's come back around to where I'm okay with the fierceness because I see enough smiles and positive energy to where I'm back kind of like being on the Daniel Collins bandwagon. Is she the American to watch going into 23?
3: Definitely one of them. Um, But, you know, we can't leave out Jessica Pagula because she is the number one American women's tennis player. And she had a heck of a tournament. She is a grinding player that never beats herself, that is really tough to beat, and gave Sviantec quite a match three and six you know, in a seven four tiebreaker in the second set. So I mean, Jessica Pagula could come out of nowhere and win one of these slams. I mean, it it would not surprise me. And and you could say the same thing about Goff and possibly Collins, because Collins, you know, is is really at a very, very high level. Those three gals right there, one of them for sure will be a Grand Slam champion very soon. Um, and all three have a chance. So and then you've got a lot of great women just outside their, um, you know, those three, um, you know, Madison keys had a good run at the U S open. And so did, uh, well, Sloan Stevens has been struggling a little bit, but you know, these are, these are tennis players that, you know, they get hot and and they can win a slam. So I think women's tennis in America is looking really good. You know, Sophia Kennan, I know has been struggling. Naomi Osaka has been struggling um but but there's there's quite a handful of women's tennis players to look forward to seeing in 2023
1: i hope we get jen brady back sometime soon as well matt you jumped the gun a little by saying that Schwantek's going to win two majors in 23 but let's let's look at the men's side of the australian open and when we watch carlos alcaraz play and we look at the conditions in Australia and the court speed in Australia and the style of game that wins in Australia, which is Novak Djokovic and his movement and his ability to defend, does Carlos Alcaraz go into Australia, assuming Djokovic won't be there, but even if he was, is Alcaraz the prohibitive favorite as of this moment to win in Melbourne in 23?
2: I actually think, yes. I mean, I think he will be, he will, must probably be the favorite going in, but I think that those courts... I'm not sure a faster court necessarily is that good for Alcaraz because he doesn't defend the same way that Djokovic defends on a faster court. He, he okay. likes to be a little more aggressive and he likes to take take risks in terms of anticipating left or right. And he's not, it's not enough for him, it seems like, to, to just sort of get the ball back with... What Djokovic is not getting the ball back; he's getting it back with with interest, and he takes it early. But he's still defending most of the time. Novak, I think, uh, and I don't think Carlos does that as well, and he's not as keen. So I think that the Yannick Sinner and the Marin Cilic, and even Francis Tiafoe, I think they have a, they would favor themselves in terms of a chance to beat Alcaraz more at the Australian than at the U.S. Open because it's a little bit faster. Now the only problem I see with Alcaraz is his serve was much better in the finals, but his serve across the tournament was actually horrible because we did a lot of studying on his placement and speed, and it was just not good. So, which is why he served volley at times, I think, because he couldn't get free points otherwise. And that was the only way he's going to get free points, even though you have to volley once or twice. So that in Australia might be a problem because Novak, we must never forget how good Novak Djokovic has served over the years compared to a Yannick Sinner or a Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, I mean, he's, his serve has been up there with as lethal as the Dani Medvedev served, not as hard, but he's getting as many free points. So I think Alcaraz at the Australian Open is the favorite, but um, I think more players feel like they have a chance against him there.
1: Johnny, is Caspar Rude potentially destined? For an Andy Roddick type career, like he's right there. He's going to make some major finals. Maybe he'll break through and win one. But is is his weaponry enough to win multiple majors, or is he going to be that guy that it shows up in the final weekend a lot, but maybe he's just barely on the outside looking in? Look, I love Casper uh, Root. I
3: love what he's, you know, stands for as, as a as a person. He carries himself. Um, so well. He's so poised. He, you know, he comes from a very nice family and you can see in his interviews, just the kind of person that he is. He's so the such answer a, is yes. well, no, <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. I'm okay. going to tell you that I do not think um, I'm, I'm building that up because I feel bad to say it, but, but I do not think he will win a slam. You don't. Um, I, I, I do love the guy in 2019. He played the Arizona tennis classic and lost in the quarterfinals to David Goffin, so we we do have a special, spot, you know, spot for him in, in our hearts. But I just don't think he has the firepower to win a slam. Um, you know, could he win a French Open? You know, we're talking about you know Alexander Zverev when he gets back healthy. That guy is he was the next guy, and so he's going to be tough. You know, Sitsipas is going to be tough. Medvedev isn't as good on clay, but he's still tough. Djokovic is still around. Berrettini, there's so many guys. And I know that, you know, Casper Rude reminds me of David Ferrer. Ferrer had Nadal and Federer and Djokovic to contend with. I don't think Rude really does or will in the future. So that gives him a little more of an opening. But, you know, having gotten to two slam finals this summer, that might be the best that we see from him. I hope it isn't, but it could be and he's a two in the world. I think he'll be a consistent top 10 guy, but I'm not sure you'll see him win a slam.
1: Matt's final word, as we look toward 23, give us a guy or two that might break through and have a, a year similar to what we've seen from Rude. Uh, have we seen the best of Berrettini, or is there more more to come from him? It was a COVID year for him. It wasn't a great health year uh, for him. Is, is it's can Kyrgios break through and win one? You don't think he's got the the, the, the mental uh, endurance necessarily to do that. What can we look for in 23 that people might not be thinking about today?
2: Well, I think people are thinking about it because of the match that he played in the U.S. Open. But again, and I know you I, I know you know that I've always talked about it. I think Yannick Sinner, again, Yannick Sinner is the guy yeah. because yeah. he's taken his tennis to the next level. He's got Darren Cahill now in his corner, and he was there for every match. Um, and therefore you see him. I watched a bunch of his practices and he spends a lot of time up at the net around the service line and hitting little half volleys and volleys. And then he takes a couple of split steps up forwards and then he puts the volley away. So he's practicing completely different from what I've seen him do in the past. Oh. And I mean, that's Cahill. Um, I know that the, uh, I don't know his name, the Italian coach, um, is very keen on him as well, playing with variety and, and, uh, whereas the old, Ricardo Piatti was not necessarily that keen. He wanted to see more of a sort of an Agassi style. Let's stay at the baseline and let's slug it out with these guys. But I think Yannick Sinner showed against Alcaraz that he could have won that match and he's improving maybe at the same pace as Alcaraz, maybe not, but he's improved everything. So I think that, and I know it's, it's a pretty easy, dumb answer. I think Yannick Sinner is going to grab a slam next year. Um, I think Carlos will grab one as well. Um, I think that Kasper has a chance, I really do, at the French Open. But I think he'll get a lot of confidence from making the finals of the U.S. Open. And more than that, he gets some of that fear put into players in the locker room. Oh, my God, I'm playing Kasper Root. Oh, it's going to be four hours, five hours, whatever it takes to beat a Scandinavian in, in Grand Slam tennis. It's a long time. So I think maybe that would help him. But Berrettini, questionable. I don't know. Yeah, questionable his backhand. The guys are hitting the ball so well today that if you have a hole like he does, it's tough to get around that. And um, and I say Nick Kyrgios is, is in the same boat. Wimbledon, yes, Nick is huge favorite together with three or four guys. But I don't know if he can handle the other five set tournaments. Um, Nick Cures. but um, there's there's a lot of good good um, possibilities next year because Rafa does not look like he will have another year like he did this year. Next year.
1: Here is my dream semi of any major for next year. Now, this is assuming an American's not in it, and I hope they are. But if you give me Curios, Rude, Sinner, and, and, and Alcaraz in the semis of a major, I think we've come to the next place that we want to be in men's tennis post Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. And Roger will end up being proven right when I asked him if he was concerned about the sport after he – and Novak and Rafa right off into the sunset. And he looked at me like I was crazy for even asking the question. And if we get a semifinal of those four, he might be absolutely right. All right, guys, great stuff as always. Matt's welcome back to Sun Valley. Thank you. Johnny, look forward to seeing you in Austin upon the induction of you going into the Texas Longhorn Sports Hall of Honor. A well deserved accolade for you, alongside Kevin Durant and Sam Ocho, and a lot of other great former Longhorns. For Matt's VLander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden. We're KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.